Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined for the first time in 2022 by the full squad, Matasis, Doug Bowman, Evan Watkins. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. New Year, same us. We're back, baby. We don't know how much longer we'll be back, but we're back for this episode for sure. Well, if we don't know how long we're going to be back, we might as well get to it. Virginia Tech, a lot has happened since we last recorded, I believe, with me recording with just Evan on early signing day. But Brent Pry has filled out his coaching staff. A lot of names. And though I do consider myself to be a good host, sometimes I am a lazy host. And I am too lazy to go through them all individually. But I'm sure our lead man, Evan Watkins, has plenty of thoughts on all the hires. Evan, the on-field staff is complete. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think I think especially once we saw the dollar figures attached to each one, I think it made a lot more sense. Um, there were there were some qu- uh, questions or a little bit of concern, I think, of Virginia Tech maybe not uh, going to the full capacity of that budget that they had, or maybe overpaying some guys that maybe weren't as qualified as some others. But I think when you look at the big picture. Look at what Brent Price saved so that he could add it to the off the field staff. Uh, and you kind of think about the way that Penn State has uh, built their foundation and the program that they've kind of uh, evolved into both on and off the field. I think it makes a ton of sense. You know, you look at uh, going out and getting Joe Rudolph, you're going to have to pay top dollar for a guy like that. So you're going to have to make some sacrifices in some other areas. I think. Uh, you know, I know that uh, I know that we we put out a story. Doug may have caught a little bit of heat for this one, not as much as this one about the D lineman not playing right away, but a little bit about Joe Rudolph being the best hire, the best assistant coach hire in in recent history. And I mean, I think he probably is. You look at his track record. You look at who's, who he's put in the NFL. Uh, you look at Wisconsin. The first thing that comes to the mind is their run game. He's a great recruiter, both of uh offensive linemen and running backs he's had a really strong hand there as well so you know you're gonna have to pay top dollar for a guy like that so when you go out and you get a joe rudolph maybe you're going to have to sacrifice a little bit when you get a guy like fontel mines over some of the other uh, wide receiver coach names that we had heard but when you get a guy like fontel mines he's he stamps the state of virginia that's what brent price said and you know, I fully believe it. After talking to a lot of coaches in the area, Fontel having his first junior day that I'm sure was a whirlwind for a guy like him coming from Old Dominion, going up to Blacksburg and day one essentially is your is a junior day. But he's well respected. He's well respected around the state, especially in Richmond and the Richmond area. Um, you know, he's got deep ties there in talking to guys that have coached with him, guys that have coached against him. Um, some contacts that I know that were at schools that he was at or covered the schools that he was at. Uh, it, they've all mentioned that he is going to be a strong recruiter in the Richmond area, which I think we all can agree is something that Virginia Tech has needed for a while. You know, he's a guy that can maybe keep some of those uh, 804 guys home and keep, uh, you know, keep building what Virginia Tech is trying to build within that. Uh, you know, stay home, six-hour type of radius. Richmond's been really good to the Hokies in the past. And I think he can continue uh, continue to do well there. Um, so when you look across that, I mean, Tyler Bowen, I think, he's a, I think he's a heck of a OC hire. 
um, really good tight ends coach. The biggest takeaway from his little bit of time on the trail, his little bit of time at junior day is everyone that talks to him raves about his history. I mean, it's like not only does he have a good history from Penn State, but he was a tight ends coach in the NFL. Wide receivers and tight ends understand that that's a big move uh, for him to come from the NFL to Virginia Tech. Uh, that's where they all want to be, aspire to be, and somebody who's coached at the NFL level should be able to get them there. So I think he's got a really good selling point there. Plus, he has an excellent track record recruiting Northern Virginia, Maryland, um, that whole DMV area. So I think that's a great hire there. You know, looking across the on the defensive side, Sean Quinn, first call that uh, that Brent Pry made, that speaks volumes to me. You know, if if you have something big coming up or a position that you need to fill and your first thought in your mind to call a guy and they accept on the spot, you must help hold them in really high regard uh, for uh, for that position and for your what you're trying to hire. So, you know, I think that that speaks really well for what Sean Quinn has done, especially, you know, look at look at the uh, the program that he took over at Savannah State and turned them around uh, and, and the program he had built down there. I think that's I think that's really, really something that people will look will overlook, but that's a hard gig. It's really hard to, to overhaul an entire program like he did. Derek Jones, the home run hire. I talked about him recently. Um, Pearson Prelu, I think it was just time to get him on full time. Seemed to, to check the boxes, uh, both for him personally. We had heard for a while he maybe didn't want the obligations of being an on the field type of coach, but now you know, kids are a little bit older. Maybe his uh, his requirements changed just a little bit, and he's able to uh, to fulfill those obligations now. Chris Marv, another guy Brent Pry trusts. Uh, he was a mentor of his and a guy he can mold. A lot of people ask the question it, with a with a big budget, why didn't Brent Pry go out and get a big time D coordinator? But if you go out and get a big time D coordinator, they have their system that they want to run. Brent Pry wants to run his system. So it makes sense to go out and get somebody that you trust to implement your system. You understand they are basically a blank slate and you can mold them into whatever you want. And, and, and Brent Price said he was going to coach the, uh, the defense for about the first year anyways. So he'll be heavily involved there molding Chris Marv uh, into the D coordinator he wants to mold. So, you know, you, when you look across the, the staff, if you pinpoint each individual position, you could have some positives and some negatives. But when you look at the overall view of what these guys bring to the table, the recruiting territories that they have, the pedigree that they have on the field, what they've been able to do, what they've been able to accomplish. Um, and then you look at the savings that Virginia Tech had to throw into that support staff role to beef up the recruiting staff and the off the field hires, guys like Xavier DB and you know, some of these guys that are coming in, uh, Mike Villagrana, I think he's going to be a very good general manager uh, for the Hokies. So, you know, I think it makes sense. I think they did a good job hitting their needs, putting a basis on or putting a focus on recruiting the Mid-Atlantic uh, from Florida up and really stamping Virginia with some of their hires. So, you know, it's, it's good on paper and it sounds good to talk about, but we have to start seeing results. You know, they... Brent Pry comes in immediately, lands a four-star 48 hours later, but you can't sustain that. They're going to have to start uh, getting some results. I would like to see personally a top 25 class in the 2023 class, and I'd like to see a 
a good amount, I'd say 60% coming from the state of Virginia would be a big step in the right direction for me. Matei, going into this hire, Virginia Tech with Babcock was able to look at the landscape around the ACC, around college football at large, and maybe take a look in the mirror and, and see what may have gone wrong in the Justin Fuente era and support staff salaries were just not on par with Virginia Tech's direct competition. We were promised that that number would go up in terms of the salary pool. And they delivered on that. Has this staff met your expectations in terms of the hires and what Virginia Tech was able to do with the money that they were given? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I don't want to kick the outgoing staff, but when you look at a lot of these guys that Virginia Tech was able to land, you know, from a personality standpoint, from an experience standpoint, from even a social media standpoint, it all seems to be upgrades nearly at every single position. I mean, you're seeing the interaction already on social media, all the coaches, you know, getting behind the same identity. I felt like that was a huge thing with the with the last regime that, you know, everyone was kind of off doing their own thing. There wasn't really the camaraderie or anything. And, you know, with these guys like Tyler Bowen is 32 years old and he's been coaching since 2010, you know, a guy in the NFL. Um, definitely you're only getting that guy because you're bumping up the assistant coaching salary to or the entire salary to $5.5 million. So it comes with the territory that if you're going to make a commitment to the football program, you're going to get higher quality candidates. And I think, you know, for a lot of these hires, like Evan was saying, Virginia Tech really knocked it out of the ballpark. I don't think anyone would expect a, a guy with the resume of Joe Rudolph, you know, a Wisconsin alum to come to Virginia Tech after establishing one of the greatest offensive line dynasties in college football over the last decade. So, you know, getting those types of hires, you need the funding for it with Babcock, you know, all the donors, the board of visitors, they did their due diligence and they said, if we want to be a real time program, we're going to have to start spending like a real time program. And finally, you're seeing the, the early returns on that. Um, and obviously there's still, you know, roughly 400 K left in the budget pool. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of support staff, which is going to help with recruiting. So all in all, they have all the pieces, the experience is there. Uh, it's a lot of guys that are buying into the same kind of mantra for the program itself. So, so far they've knocked it out of the park, but again, it comes with the territory. Doug, the offensive coordinator hire was something that a lot of fans had an eye on and it was a hire that ultimately took longer to truly come to fruition than Almost anyone else on the staff, save the wide receiver coach. Brent Pry does not have a ton of experience on the offensive side of the ball, which I think led some fans to be surprised that he went with a coach who doesn't have a ton of experience calling plays. Are you underwhelmed by the Tyler Bowen hire, or, or do you see Brent Pry's thought process there? No, I, I think Bowen is is, is going to be just fine. I don't think he's his hire... Um, when you look at the rest of the staff and, and, and what Brent Pride did to fill out the staff, particularly with Brad Glenn coming in as a passing game coordinator and Joe Rudolph on the offensive line, both have coordinator experience. I think Glenn was Glenn had spent 
like nine years as an offensive coordinator at Georgia State and Western Carolina. Um, Rudolph obviously has a little bit of offensive coordinator experience at Wisconsin. So, you know, I think Bowen is at the point of his career where he was ready to become an offensive coordinator again. He was an offensive coordinator at Fordham in 2016, which gives him a little bit of experience. But, um, you know, he's that kind of up and coming coach that at a certain point somebody's got to give him his first shot to be a to be an offensive coordinator and I think he's you know everything that you look at the game he called plays for for Penn State the bowl game um had a really good offense the one year at Fordham he's he's definitely kind of straight from the Joe Moorhead era of Penn State and how they built that offense so you know I think I think when you have an opportunity to get a up-and-coming coach that's you know, spent time in the NFL, spent time at Penn State, coached the offensive line at Maryland for a year. He's got plenty of experience in it. You know, when you're Brent Pry and you've spent your entire career on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I think I think you feel more comfortable with Bowen sliding in at offensive coordinator, knowing that he's got Rudolph and Brad Glenn and even even a guy like Stu Holt who's been around for, you know, better part of two decades now um, on the offensive side of the ball. So he's got plenty of help, Bowen, in, um, in terms of, you know, he, he can probably figure out on his own just fine, but if he if he needs the help, he's got it there with Glenn and Rudolph for sure. Well, the other big question that Virginia Tech fans had coming in, now the coaching staff is mostly complete. Uh, maybe some outside hires will be made to boost up that support staff, but – Everyone wants to know who is going to be under center. Questions at the quarterback position don't tend to lead to the results that Virginia Tech fans are looking for. I think that was exemplified by the bowl game, despite the fact that I think a lot of people on this podcast might argue that Connor Blumrick never truly got a fair shake. That being said, two transfers coming in. Number one, Grant Wells of Marshall. Number two, Jason Brown of South Carolina, maybe not the big splash name that Virginia Tech fans were looking for, but a lot of meaningful experience between the two. There looks to be a competition. Evan Watkins, who's your leader in the clubhouse heading into camp? Yeah, I think when you look at the quarterback situation and bringing in transfers, it was clear Virginia Tech was going to bring in two, uh, which somewhat limits your pool a little bit anyways. And you're looking at a whole new overhaul. You're looking at a, a program that lost their two top receivers. It's not like a, it's not very advantageous for some of the top quarterback transfers out there. So especially guys that just need one year before they make a, a jump to the NFL draft. So, you know, I don't think uh, people who maybe thought that it wasn't a big splash, I don't think there's an opportunity for a big splash, to be honest, when it comes to Virginia Tech situation right now. But what they did do was they got two guys and that fit their needs. They got a guy that can come in for one year, be the bridge, and they got a guy that has three years left. And if he wins the job, great. If he doesn't, he can sit for a year, maybe be a backup, and then push the competition a little bit uh, and, and maybe be the guy or or compete with Taj Bullock. So, you know, when you look at them both, I think, look, speaking just specifically of Jason Brown and Grant Wells, I think Grant Wells has a higher ceiling. Um, but I think Jason Brown might be more of a uh, a better player today type of situation. Now, that will all figure itself out during spring camp. But if I'm taking notes in pencil right now, 
I'd say Jason Brown probably has the best opportunity to be QB1 because he's got a decent amount of experience, but he's got really good SEC experience from about six games. Grant Wells has good Conference USA experience. He was player of the year. He's put up some good numbers. He's also thrown a decent amount of interceptions that go with that. Uh, I think both of those guys have pros and cons. Jason Brown maybe fits a little bit of what you think the mold could be uh, for Virginia Tech right now, but I think Grant Wells is more the the long-term guy. So it wouldn't surprise me if Grant Wells won the job, but if I'm penciling it in, I think Jason Brown is probably QB1 with Wells really pushing him. I'm really interested to see if Taj Bullock makes the next step. I mean, uh, under under Justin Fuente and under Brad Cornelson, it was pretty clear he needed time. Uh, but now there's, you know, a new regime in town that can that can breed change and breed new opportunities. Um, is he a guy that will excel under new teaching? Maybe it needs to be simplified a little bit for him. You can tell he's got raw ability, um, but can that ability be harnessed and be molded? Right now, we don't really know what Brad Glenn can do when it comes to Virginia Tech quarterbacks. He hasn't had a chance to work with any of them. Um, and two of them just got on campus, or I guess three of them if you had Devin Farrell just got on campus about two days ago. So way too early to understand what he's exactly going to do and what the ceiling of each individual is. But based off what we do know, I think Jason Brown is probably penciled in QB1, but I would not be shocked if Grant Wells could could beat him for that position. Matei, Doug, overwhelmed, underwhelmed. Where do you stand with these two quarterbacks? I think it's, a you know, they did as well as they could do. They needed help. They needed multiple quarterbacks. It's going to be hard to recruit at the top flight level. Number one, when you're, you know, Virginia Tech and you haven't had much success recently, but number two, when you're looking, when you, when you're looking to create a competition. And I think that's what they did with Brown and Wells. Um, I think Evan covered it. Ideal situation. Brown, Brown is the quarterback in 2022 gives Wells and Bullock another year to, to develop and, and get ready for open competition. And then I think the, the one thing you you really have to look for um, in this 2023 recruiting class coming up is is who they who they go after at quarterback and who they ultimately uh, push their chips in to be the kind of that first Brent Pry era quarterback recruit. That's going to make a huge difference and really set the trajectory of the of, of the era there, if they can get that right. So, um, you know, they're not top level quarterbacks. Uh, you know, I don't think Virginia tech was ever going to compete for one or that they, or that Brent pride necessarily needs one. in in year one, uh, the expectations are Virginia tech is not going to compete for an ACC championship in all likelihood, but that doesn't mean they have to bottom out and you know go three and nine or four and eight or something like that. They needed a quarterback who can come in from day one and get them to six or seven wins and and kind of get this thing going on the right track. I think I think either Brown or Wells could get them there, but I agree with Evan. I think Brown is probably most likely, and Wells is the guy that you know you start to you start to think that maybe with another with a year under Brad Glenn and in the offense that that he's ready to go. He's definitely ahead of where Bullock is right now. So we'll see, you know, in the spring and the fall where that shakes out. Yeah. I just want to add one thing by saying that 
I I love how both these quarterbacks committed at the same exact time. It was like both at 6 p.m. You know, both these quarterbacks know the situation heading into Virginia Tech. And I think obviously if you're a Virginia Tech fan and you're looking at the 24-7 sports transfer portal, there's so many big names out there, but pretty much all those top flight options already have a place in mind that they're going to go to going from one blue blood to another. And when you're looking at Jason Brown, you know, this is a guy that, you know, this is his third destination. He's played in multiple offenses. He'll be able to come in and absorb the playbook. Grant Wells, for a guy that has, I believe, three years left to play, you know, he's a guy that has, you know, over 700 pass attempts. So you're bringing in a wealth of experience. You know, Jason Brown's a guy that could be versatile and both quarterbacks know what the situation is they're open to a competition and i think the the major thing for the quarterback room next year you know just you know you could go out there try to land one of those top transfers and you know maybe you're wasting your efforts there but getting two guys that you know can immediately upgrade the quarterback position at virginia tech where the offense like is most likely going to be one of those big 10 run heavy styled offenses like it's not all going to be on the quarterback like it was in the Justin Fuente era and regardless they have two good options solid options that if either one wins out I mean Virginia Tech's going to be fine I think it more depends on the on the pieces around the quarterback I think both guys are capable to you know achieving at Virginia Tech well, the wide receiver position is another position that was decimated by both moving to the professional ranks and, of course, Tavian Robinson entering the transfer portal. And there wasn't a lot of movement early on, but I don't think that was incredibly surprising. Not a lot of wide receivers want to commit to a school when they don't know who the guy distributing the football is going to be. Well, shortly after both Brown and Wells simultaneously commit to Virginia Tech, a wide receiver with a track record, Jaden Blue of Temple, joins the boat for Virginia Tech. Stephen Gosnell, the brother of Benji Gosnell, joins as well. So two names added to that wide receiver room. I think Blue warrants a little more attention and a little more analysis. So we'll start with him. Is this wide receiver one going into the year? I wouldn't be shocked if he was. Um, I do think that he will have to earn it, uh, I think, coming in as a transfer, especially you know, he had a huge year two years ago, over a thousand yards. But then after that, it tanked uh, and it tanked because they had a terrible quarterback. I mean, he, he he's still a talented football player. So people who look at the stats and say what happened, uh, I don't think his quarterback threw for like over 150 yards in a game in two years. That's how bad it was. So, you know, I think uh, I think he's a guy that brings a lot of talent, a lot of real natural talent to the position. Um, you know, he runs well watching some of his film on uh, on Twitter of him working out and watching some of his his routes that he's run and his highlights from Temple you can tell he's been taught really really how to how to run really good routes um you know I think that's something Virginia Tech has struggled with they had guys that were really good athletes and Tavion Robinson's a really good athlete but remember he wasn't a wide receiver in high school and then you had Trey Turner who was a was a wide receiver in high school um, but he got injured, missed part of his senior year, and then came in and was a little injured early on. Didn't really, I don't know that he really had a true opportunity to learn how to be the best wide receiver he could be at Virginia Tech. So, you know, those two guys put up some good numbers, but they were more athletes, uh, where this is, 
you know, I think that uh, I think Jaden Blue's a really good route runner. Kind of reminds me in his route running ability, like Isaiah Ford. Um, you know, that's what I'm talking about. The difference in being an athlete like Trey Turner, being a really good, uh, well-taught wide receiver like Isaiah Ford was. So I think he's going to be a guy that can put up some pretty big numbers. I don't know if he's going to be slot outside. Maybe he's a guy like Tavion. You can move him all around. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he is utilized this spring. But if Virginia Tech has someone that can get him the ball, I think he could be a pretty uh, pretty good player for the Hokies. I do think they need another transfer receiver, though. Uh, maybe they look after the spring. Um, somebody else with a little more experience. They have decent bodies in that room, but a lot of them are inexperienced right now. So it would be nice to see see them go after get another uh, another experienced receiver to come in. Yeah, I, I think you're looking at they, they definitely need a little more help there. Caleb Smith coming back as the top receiver, 20 catches for 260 yards this year. Um, after that, it's Lofton with seven catches uh, and go down to Payute with one catch in the bowl game and, and Jalen Jones with it's it's pretty bare there. So uh, I definitely think you're looking at another addition. I think Blue's clearly a top two three if it's a stretch um wide receiver next year you know they they need some more help in terms of playmaking uh and then they need to get those young guys to come along often jalen jones christian moss um big big spring for fontel mines right off the bat because that's going to set the rest of the that's going to set the wide receiver room for the next couple of years depending on you know, they, there's a lot of catches available for those guys to grab in 2022. So it's going to be a heated competition in the spring to, to kind of to fill those spots, even even if Virginia Tech does go back to the portal. Um, I think Gosnell is probably a backup slot type receiver. Um, I, I would think that's a Gosnell versus Lofton battle at this point. Um, and then I think you need more help on the perimeter. Jalen Jones is a guy you got to look for. Um, to take a big step up this spring, but you know, I don't think any. I think Tyler Bowen, Brad Glenn, Fontel Mines, Brent Pry. I, you know, they're they're obviously not satisfied with uh, with w- where the roster is, given what they did with the at the quarterback position. And I think they'll they'll look to add another. You know, you're not going to get like. Who was the kid from Miami this year that was Charleston Rambo from Oklahoma? You're not going to get a guy that that level transfer, but you know if you can get a if you can get another guy at Blues level and just be a solid wide receiver core, I think you'll feel a lot better. So yeah, if you look at the numbers like that that you just put out, Doug, does that mean that Stephen Gosnell right now is a top five receiver returning with his two receptions in the in the 2021 season? Yes, he would be number three. Uh, Look at that. Well, well, he's he's tied with Luke Bustle now for third. Okay, so let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Stephen Goff now for a minute. So, I mean, first of all, let's be honest. You're not going to get a lot of reps when you are uh, behind some of the guys that he's been behind. So, you know, at UNC, that there's only so many reps to go around. But if you if you dig deeper, I mean, if people like you want to dig in now, granted, his, his his competition wasn't the best, but he had a hundred receptions for two thousand yards uh, and thirty two touchdowns, and rushed for twenty two hundred yards 
and another 34 touchdowns over three seasons in high school. So those are pretty good numbers. And if you add in the fact that he actually split time at quarterback during his sophomore and junior year, um, that's why his receptions were only 100 for a year and a half, um, essentially. That's that's pretty good production. Now, granted, the competition, it, it stinks. Um, but, you know, his brother plays in bad competition, too, and he's a four-star coming in. So I think Steven Gosnell is a guy – he's not going to be a household name, in my opinion. Um, but I think he can be a guy that can be a good rotational piece that can, you know, make some catches, move the chains a little bit, and can be a guy that can be, um, you know, your your maybe your second second team slot that gets a handful of snaps a game. You can get him the ball in space, kind of like a CJ Carroll to me a few years ago. I think I could see a little bit of similarities there. Obviously, uh, Stevens bigger. Uh, I think he's about six one, six two, uh, and CJ was five ten, five nine maybe. Um, so I think he's, I think he can be a guy that can get a handful of snaps, a couple of receptions a game. Um, but he's not going to be, I don't expect him to ever be some big time household name, but I think he's a little bit of a glue that can help there. He has ACC experience. Uh, he must've learned something behind Josh Downs. You cannot sit behind that guy for two years and not learn anything. Um, and in my opinion, Josh Downs is one of the best wide receivers in college football. So you know, I think he got a bit of a deal there where he was behind somebody that was really, really talented, didn't want to wait anymore. His brother's going to Virginia Tech. They they have a need for wide receiver. If he's just a guy that gets a handful of, of reps over the next two to three seasons, I think it's worth the scholarship right now. So I, I think when you dig back and look at what he's done, he's super athletic. If you look at, you know, his high school career, he just got buried at North Carolina. We'll see if a new... Uh, Maybe if a change of pace changes things this spring, but you know, I'm interested. He's probably my favorite two reception guy from this past season to actually see the field. <laughs> I don't, I don't think he's going to be a a big time star. I mean, I think Jalen Jones is is probably better than him with one reception, but still, I think Stephen Gosnell is a guy that uh, I think he'll be on the field. I don't know that he's going to be a guy that you know transfers in and never plays. I expect to see him on the field. I uh, so expect to see him this spring and expect to see him in the fall. Yeah, I mean, last year at this time, <laughs> right, going into the 2021 season, there seemed to be a lot more certainty surrounding the roster. You knew you were going to have Trey Turner. You knew you were going to have Tavion Robinson. Now with everything kind of up in flux, we can have conversations about whether the two reception guy is going to play a bigger role than the one reception guy, which I know to a lot of fans out there might seem like a very scary prospect. And I, I feel where you're coming from, but at, at least from us talking heads, it gives us a lot to theorize about and a lot to discuss. Speaking of theorizing and discussing, the transfer portal is 24-7. 365, it seems, these days. And I'm sure Virginia Tech is not done yet. Evan, are there any names that we should look at, guys from other programs that you expect to be Hokies in the coming weeks, or, or at least guys that they're targeting? Yeah, I think the I think the probably the first one that pops out to me, he has not entered the portal yet, so it's probably a little premature for me to, to mention his name. But I think you got to draw a line to EJ Jenkins out of South Carolina. You know, he transferred from St. Francis to South Carolina with Jason Brown. Hasn't been used really to his full capacity. Doesn't seem like they utilize him 
the way they should being a six, 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 seven receiver. You know, if, if I'm calling those plays, I'm playing backyard football and just throwing fades all day long to him. But, you know, it seems like he's not really utilized as much as he should. I've heard he graduates from South Carolina in May. I wouldn't be surprised. Virginia Tech needs help at the wide receiver position. He obviously brings something that very few people have with his size. Uh, and he could be kind of a hybrid tight end, hybrid wide receiver type of guy. If he enters the portal, I think Virginia Tech would probably be the first call. Also played at the same high school as Jason Brown. So they've been together at multiple stops. So, Yeah, they camped at Virginia Tech. I mean, every time there was a camp, EJ and Jason Brown were there trying to get an offer. I mean, it was it was incredible to watch them work out so many times and not get an, an offer out of high school or an opportunity. Jason Brown even worked out at linebacker for Bud Foster in a camp to see if he could get an offer because he wanted to go to Virginia Tech that bad. So it's kind of crazy to see it go full circle, see him get the quarterback offer, um, you know, new staff in town, quarterback opportunity for one year. We'll see if he can take it uh, – and kind of run with it. You know, it's his, it's the opportunity he's always wanted. So it's kind of on his shoulders now. All offensive line, also a position that Virginia Tech is looking to bolster. And things could be worse. Silas Jancy going to return. Johnny Jordan going to make a comeback, obviously. Parker Clements and other young guys, whether they be guys in that 2022 class or, or younger guys on the roster, also going to be there. But with Joe Rudolph coming in, obviously, Virginia Tech has potential to continue what has been stellar offensive line play in the Vance Vice era. One name in the transfer portal that sticks out to me that could bolster this unit is Hunter Norzad, interior offensive lineman out of Cornell. I know Cornell might not sound incredibly inspiring to people, but this is a guy with a track record. Virginia Tech in that final five, he plans to take a visit. Is this a realistic thing for Virginia Tech fans to get their hopes up about? Yeah, it is. Um, he's he his top five is Auburn, Illinois, Iowa, Penn State, and Virginia Tech. So, this isn't some some guy coming out of Cornell that you know is is kind of a scrub um, or a mediocre player coming from an Ivy League school looking for a chance to get a free Masters or anything like that. He's a legit player. Um, the big question for me is he's an interior guy. Um, Virginia Tech obviously needs tackles, but he is too good to pass up. Uh, Virginia Tech has offered him. They're going to host him January 25th. I think right now, the way the way things sit going into the visits, I would pencil Penn State and Virginia Tech as the top two. Um, I think that those are the two programs that have really made him a priority. He really likes a lot of things about Penn State. He likes their history. Uh, he likes the the. I mean, they're they're a blue blood. They are they play a good a good brand of football. But he's intrigued with Joe Rudolph. I think without Joe Rudolph, I say Virginia Tech fans don't pay attention to this. It's not going to happen. But with Joe Rudolph, things change. I think Virginia Tech is top two. They're going to have to sell him hard on his official. Um, but I think that they have an opportunity. Now, things change when people get on campus. Maybe he ends up at Auburn or Iowa or Illinois or somewhere like that. But I think Virginia Tech goes into their official, which is second to last. Um, in in at least second place right now so we'll see how it goes when he's on campus but i think uh, i think this is one that we should at least monitor not saying i think virginia tech will get him i have not put in a crystal ball pick anywhere 
I don't know which way this one's going to go right now. But I do know that Virginia Tech is very much in it. I think they're going to be in it until the end. I think it's them and Penn State right now. Um, and I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to it as he gets closer to making a decision in February. He's not eligible to enroll now, obviously. He still has his visits to take. Um, he graduates in May. So this is a get on campus in the summer, one year uh, in the fall, try to make it to the NFL from a Power 5 school. Um, and I think uh, I think Virginia Tech offers a great opportunity for him. I haven't looked too in-depth to see what Penn State can offer as in regards to early playing time or anything like that. But I think the Hokies offer, uh, you know, immediate help right away um, or immediate uh, ability right away for him to step in, especially maybe at that center position after after uh, Brock Hoffman left and uh, get him some reps there before he tries to take his talents to the NFL. But after that, the Hokies have to find a left tackle. A lot of people pencil in Parker Clements there, possibly. Um, maybe Silas. I, I'm not sold either, have the athleticism right now for it. Um, I think Parker may be a long-term guy at left tackle, but I'd like to see him get a little more entrenched on the right-hand side of the ball before moving him to the left. If they can find a left tackle uh, in, in May, you know, going into the summer, even if it's a one-year guy, preferably a two-year guy would be would be really nice for the Hokies or maybe a Juco guy. Uh, if they can find somebody to come in and play left tackle right away, that will really bolster the offense right now. A lot of things are going to hinge on that position. Um, and we really won't know too much until after the spring. All right, moving out of the transfer portal and onto the regular recruiting trail, Brent Pry and his staff are out and about mostly doing so in the Commonwealth of Virginia, their social media presence, which, as Matei mentioned previously, is significantly larger and, I guess you could say, more advanced than the previous regime. Definitely pushing the VA2VT mantra. That, put a, that puts a smile on a lot of fans' faces after uh, the experiments of the last few years, the failed experiments at that What's your thoughts about the approach so far? I know there's not a ton to read into, but there is movement. What do you think? I, I think it's good. Um, it's also kind of the low-hanging fruit, um, the obvious move, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. I mean, if it wouldn't if, take a rocket scientist, <laughs> if if this coaching staff wasn't like making Virginia a priority, it would be a major red flag right off the bat. This is like they would. They probably not have the job if they didn't clearly state that that would be their intention. Right. This is like day one, like really the only move that you could possibly make right now. Um, so, I mean, it's good. We'll see if they can. It's all about, you know, closing the deal and and, and, and continuing success over the long term. Um, Fuente and company got off to a pretty decent start recruiting. You know, seven, eight, four stars a year there in this first couple of years, and and it and it and then didn't sustain it um, over the long term. So you know, VA two VT two up, two down, all that stuff, all you want. Uh, I that's 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 meeting expectations of what you know you should do. Uh, it's straight out of you know saying the six hours around Blacksburg is where the recruiting territory is going to be straight out of the frank beamer um <laughs> book of quotes i guess he he used to talk about that all the time um 
So, I mean, to, to me, it's standard strategy, standard recruiting planning, which is all great, which is all, it's not a bad thing. That's what you would want. Um, we'll have to see if, if they can sustain it over the long term and, and finish the job. You know, Virginia Tech hasn't had the success to sell. There's, you know, they were six and six this year, five and six last year, six and seven, you know, basically 503 out of the last four years. So there's not the on-field success to sell, obviously. That's why you're looking for looking at a new coaching staff. So this is about generating excitement and belief in whatever vision they're selling. Um, and knowing knowing what today's transfer portal and recruiting situation and, and how fast programs move on from coaches and all that stuff this first class sets the tone you, if you don't have a successful first class i'm not sh- i'm not i'm not sure how how long you're going to be the head coach in blacksburg so um as far as where they're it, it seems like they're doing all the right things but you know all the right things right now are are fairly obvious to me to add on to that too i think it's going to be interesting to see Fans love the VA2VT right now. They're loving all of that. They're loving the social media interaction. Uh, Brent Pride, the snowball fight, all of that is great. I mean, if you look at over the last couple of weeks, Brent Pry has probably checked every, every checkbox there is. But he hasn't hit a single amount of adversity yet. There hasn't been the recruit that chooses Clemson over Virginia Tech. There hasn't been the in-state recruit that goes to Penn State instead of Virginia Tech. They're hasn't been a game lost. There hasn't been a game played. There hasn't been an injury. Um, there hasn't been a, uh, you know, so-and-so is playing over so-and-so. None of that has happened. So he's winning the offseason right now. The big question is how sustainable is that moving forward with 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 the fan base? I think, uh, you know, I think you, you hit it on the head with you have to have a solid first class. That's what's going to set the tone. My expectation would be a top 25 class, get that new coach bump. Obviously, Brent Pry understands recruiting and has made an emphasis on it and uh, has lived it when he was at Penn State. He understands how to do it. But understanding how to do it and going out and doing it are two different things. So results are going to have to come in. I think he's definitely building himself a very long leash. He says all the right things. He wins the press conference. He's great in front of the camera. All of that is amazing, but no adversities hit yet. It's going to be interesting to see how the staff handles that and how the fans handle it. You know, if, if a guy, let's say a guy like a Braylon Johnson, you know, he's, an, he's, a, he's, he's a legacy at the school. He's a major big-time recruit for the Hokies out of Highland Springs. Let's just say he ends up going to Penn State instead of Virginia Tech. You know, how is that going to be handled? When you when you lose a recruit, you're inevitably going to lose one. You lose more than you land every year. So that's the big question that I want to see. But right now, you know, he's he's checking every box. He's he's doing everything he can the right way. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens when that first roadblock hits. Yeah, I'll, I'll also add that, you know, like ev- everyone is saying, he's saying all the right things. I like how they're talking about that when they're on the road that, you know, the first six or seven days, they're focusing on the state of Virginia, making it a priority, you know, saying the things, but also doing the things as well. Um, I feel like we heard a lot of those hashtag movements that really didn't come to fruition with the last regime. 
Uh, obviously, you know, none of the efforts have paid off yet. There hasn't been a sig- single commitment in the next class. But, you know, so far, the way the staff has assembled, and this goes back to, you know, adding more budget for your, your assistance, you know, getting Cheetah out there, Derek Jones uh, in the 757, you know, taking pictures with every administrator at every single school, um, you know, really making inroads in an area he's not familiar with and getting Fontel Mines, a guy that's very familiar with Richmond and Tyler Bowen all over the, you know, Northern Virginia, Maryland, uh, DC, you know, the, it, it seems like everything's pretty much a work in progress in terms of recruiting. Like nobody's technically assigned permanently to a specific area, but you know, with the budget, with the increase in funding, they're able to get guys that have been proven recruiters at other schools, and now they're putting all their knowledge, all their experience towards recruiting for Virginia Tech. I'm with Evan. I think this has to be a top 25 class at minimum. I think there's potential for it. Virginia looks good this year, really good this year, uh, legitimate talent within the Commonwealth. And, you know, I think they'll capitalize on on the momentum of having a new staff, having a new system and a new life within Virginia Tech. So um, I'm definitely very excited to monitor how everything's going. And also, like Evan said, you know, there's going to be a lot more battles I, I feel as if the staff is targeting, you know, whereas, it, you know, maybe there was jokes about always getting the five foot 11, 160 pound athlete at, out of anywhere for Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente. You know, this is a staff that's not scared to target the four stars, the guys that are going to be pursued by bigger programs and not necessarily safe bets to get into your class. So I do think we're going to see a lot more battles moving forward. Uh, within the recruiting class. And I'm interested to see how many times can Brent Pry come on top of another more established school, uh, you know, within these prospect battles. Yeah, I think the big thing I'm looking at here is in, in, in the first class is going to be Brad Glenn, Fontel Mines, Pearson Prelude, Sean Quinn. You could even throw J.C. Price in there in terms of guys that have not recruited at the power five level, how well do their, how long, how well does, do their relationships when they were recruiting at a lower level, um, how well do they carry over and either benefit or hurt them when you're stepping up at a, and recruiting against Penn state and UVA and North Carolina, you know, Fontel minds, a lot of, a lot of expectations on what he can do in Richmond based off his experience at JMU in Richmond and East Carolina and ODU played at Highland Springs, all that played at UVA clearly has the the resume you're looking for in Richmond, but, you know, recruiting at JMU, one of the best FCS programs full against other FCS programs for FCS prospects is, is a completely different ball game than going head to head with, with James Franklin essentially at Penn state. So can, Prize first staff, he took some chances on some G5 guys, we're being honest, and some guys that have never coached at the P5 level. Sean Quinn, obviously, has coached for decades down in the Southeast. Can he turn those relationships where he was recruiting the FCS-level players into P5-level commitments? And you could go you could go through the staff with, with a number of those guys that are 
really going to determine if this can be a top 25 class. I think another thing on top of that, Doug, too, is everybody can talk about Justin Fuente's recruiting. Um, I've talked about it at length. One thing that staff was really good at was evaluating talent. Now, they didn't land that talent at a high level, but they were able to evaluate talent early and, uh, and be able to offer early and make that a priority recruit. Does this staff have the ability to do that? You know, that's more more of a question that I've had recently is, you know, you have guys like like a Brad Glenn or like a like Sean Quinn. How are they at going out to spring workouts and saying we want to target this guy and we want to make him a priority recruit over, say, you know, these other guys in another part of the state or, or however you want it to be? How will they run their camps? How will they be? Uh, you know, if they are they going to do satellite camps? Do they come down to you know the seven five seven? Go to Richmond, Northern Virginia. Can they evaluate a guy a class or two, you know, younger than what they're looking for as a future priority recruit? I think some of the guys on their staff are going to be very good at it. I think I think Cheetah is very good at it. I think Brent Pry is very good at it. I just think J.C. Price is really good at evaluating talent as well. Um, obviously, uh, you know, when you have uh, some of the the pedigree that some of these coaches have, they're going to be able to do that. But the ones that you just mentioned, questions on can they recruit to this level? I also question, can you evaluate to this level? Not the surefire five-star guy, but can you evaluate the Greg Stroman and get him, uh, you know, to to from a camp to college to the NFL? Can you evaluate uh, Caleb Farley? Can you look at Terrell Edmonds and say he's not just a guy to get the young good get his younger brother but he's a guy that can play here and evaluate through that I think Frank Beamer's staff was really good at it and I think uh, Justin Fuente's staff was really good at it but uh you know Frank Beamer's staff just landed more of those guys than Justin Fuente's staff if you can evaluate well make priority recruits a priority and land more of them than you miss on them you're going to be headed in the right direction. So that's another aspect of it that I'm really interested to see how that all plays out, especially with the transfer portal and JUCO and all of that, is how do you evaluate your core developmental prospects moving forward? All right, gentlemen. Well, I think that'll wrap it up on the recruiting chair. We'll do a little rapid fire here. We'll keep it short because we're running out of time. But question one, Connor Blumrick stays on the roster. Does he move back to H-back? I say yes. Unfortunately, the days of quarterback for Connor Blumrick are over. Um, I think, you know, clearly there's there's four guys that I think would – I'll say three guys that would be above him uh, with the two incoming and then Bullock. But, you know, he does have a skill set. And I will say, for as – you know, the, the lack of quarterback readiness within him – I do enjoy the spark he brings when he's in the game, when he scores a touchdown. If if he, you know, will be the one-yard bulldozer, I'll take that. But his days throwing the football, I think, are over. Yeah, I agree. I think his big attribute was his size and his tenacity to run the ball. But when you, when you look at Jason Brown uh, and you look at Taj Bullock as well, both of those guys have really good size and could be a, more of a power runner if you needed them to. So I think it's I think he he should probably move to H back. I, I, he's a he's a football player, you know. He he's 
probably a fun guy in the locker room, I would assume. Uh, and he's a guy that's going to leave it all out on the field. Find a spot for him. He may not be a, a star. He may not be some type of starter. But H-back, tight end, you know, they're going to be tight end heavy, I think. When your OC is a tight ends coach, they're going to get the tight ends the ball. I say try to throw him out there and see if he can do something, uh, you know, give uh, give a little bit of a wrinkle. You know, he's a, he's a hard runner. He's deceptively quick uh, for for as big as he is. And I think he's got some natural ability. So. Why not throw him out there? Let him have some fun. Yeah, I guess I agree. He's going to be a he's not going to play quarterback. <laughs> All right. Last one. The basketball team gets their first ACC win of the year on Saturday in comeback fashion. They do so against Notre Dame. A disappointment so far is the tournament still on the table. They are going to have to win a lot of games quickly over this next. What is it? They have. They have eight games in the next two week, two or three weeks, just back to back to back two or three days in between games. It's going to be a grind to get to a five day break between Pittsburgh and Syracuse the second week of February. They could do it. I mean, you know, if Mutz and Aluma keep playing at a high level and they can get a lean back on track, the, the rest of the ACC is just as mediocre or up and down or whatever you want to call it as Virginia Tech is. So they could, they could string a, a couple a few wins together. Um, uh, it definitely feels like a bubble team, though, at this point. They got three road games coming up next that probably decide which way this one goes, whether they're going to be hanging around the bubble through February or at least deep into February or whether it's going to be um, writing on the wall pretty quickly. I'll have the same answer as if you said, will Matei ever have as beautiful as a, of a beard as Doug? The answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> Doug does have a very beautiful beard. I know nobody can see it right now, but he's done well in the offseason. I will say for Virginia <laughs> Tech, I don't know if they will make the tournament, but I am confident <laughs> that they will make a tournament. Um, I think you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. The 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 college invitational tournament is a lock, says Batesis of VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. I, I, it can only go up from here. I saw I saw Aaron McFarland during the um, the Tech UVA game the other night tweeted it's a collegeinsider.com quarterfinal preview. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds about right. It really does. It really does. All right, gentlemen, any last words before we check out here? I'm trying to figure out how to get my beard to look like Doug's. I wish everybody could see this. Mate, you're not going to get there. I, I wish I, mine's got too much gray in it though. I just shaved this morning. He's got a little scruff coming on. Yeah, he's trying. He's trying hard. He, he says this morning that was like six days ago. Yeah. He's working on it. <laughs> Three weeks ago, he's putting a lot of effort into it. Hey, just gotta get some Rogaine and put him in there and let it do its thing. It's a, it's beard gang Spe- for twenty twenty two. Speaking of beards, I mean the facial hair on this Virginia Tech assistant, even the head coach. I mean, <laughs> everyone's got some facial hair going, so. It's a, it's, you know, facial hair stocks are up. Yeah. When, uh, when, when, when <laughs> I tweeted out something of Brent prize picture, Sean fit for the Penn state site, he, he quickly retweeted it, but said, expect a much bigger beard when he gets to Blacksburg. I guess he was clean shaven in that picture that I put out and he was, he was on the money. I mean, Brent prize showed up with a, with, with a, a very, very thick, nice beard. Uh, not as nice as Doug's. Doug, I think you win. I think you got the nicest beard right now. This is all really nice. 
I appreciate all this. <laughs> all right. Let's wrap it up before this gets out of control. Inside the tunnel, VT Scoot 24 7 Sports. I am Andrew Alex. For Evan Watkins, Matasis, and Doug Bowman, we say so long for tonight or whatever time of day you may be listening to this episode at. We'll be back soon as more Virginia Tech news rolls in. As always, rate, review, and subscribe. And until we talk to you next, go Hokies.